Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast with your host, The Mindful Investor. Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Commercial Real Estate Podcast with your host, The Mindful Investor. I'm here with Darren Huang. And first, I will dive into his bio biography. Over the last five years, Darren has bought over 100 residential units in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was so tired of the midnight calls, especially the ones from the police, that he shifted his focus into commercial real estate, specifically industrial. Darren has been married for seven years and has a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Thank you so much, Darren, for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be on here. So Darren, why real estate? Man, I kind of stumbled into it um, because back in 2016, I got my license and I was just thinking that I would be a broker. I thought I was just going to be a residential sales agent, help people find their homes. And I wasn't really even thinking about the investment side of things. Interesting. And what were you doing before? Yeah. So I was in a sales job before I was with a wireless carrier for cell phones. And so I was doing business to business, selling wireless, you know, uh, phones or tablets for uh, businesses. Were some of the skills you had for sales transferable into a real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just tired of the hours and the different calls that I had. So some some of the times it was a retail schedule. So, you know, I'd be closing up the shop at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m., not really great for my my timing. And so, you know, I thought, hey, let me be my own boss. Let me get that license. And then, you know, I'm an independent contractor. I can choose to work how hard I want to, but then also be able to pick my hours. Um, so that was really important to me. So all those skills kind of transferred over. And then um, once again, making those relationships and helping people uh, on the sales side was super helpful for me to transfer yeah. over. So sales understood as being of service to people. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I was always trying to help people either increase their bottom line or save money uh, where, where they were spending too much on their connected devices, whether it be cell phones, tablets, even fleet management. I did a couple of those too. And so um, whether it be making more money uh, or being having different access and different uh, accessibility to different things, apps and stuff like that, or it was, hey, we can be extremely competitive on the quote that we give to you if you switch on over. Um, that was kind of the 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 previous thing that I did. Okay. And then, yeah, it makes sense. Then if you stay instead, then if you transfer to real estate, being a broker, being in sales as well, that all the skills can come very, become very handy there. Uh, can you tell us about your, the first deal where you invested yourself that you bought yourself first real estate deal? Yeah. Yeah. So like I mentioned before in 2016, I was just a broker and I was thinking, Hey, I was going to be on the residential side, maybe start a team and then maybe own a brokerage afterwards. But it wasn't until 2017, I actually picked up my first investor client and he was a breath of fresh air. Um, he didn't really care about the paint color. He didn't care about the granite or the, you know, the cabinetry or whatever the case may be. So that was definitely a breath of fresh air. I was able to kind of be sideways mentored by him because I just would show him properties, underwrite them for him. And he said, Hey, you're off on here. You're off on here. You know, this is what I think about that. Um, you know, and then I would just ask him, Hey, talk aloud while you're walking through this property he goes, well, maybe I'll knock down this wall, see if it's load bearing, make this kitchen a little bit bigger, add this value, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then, you know, once again, he kind of demystified the whole entire investment process for me. Um, but it wasn't until the end of 2017, I bought my first investment property. Um, and I did that very, very creatively. So, uh, yeah, I'll be able to share that now if you would like me to. <laughs> oh, please, yeah, good creativity. Yeah, so this one, I was still young in the business, didn't have a lot of capital. And I was, uh, I found this one uh, as a for sale by owner. And I said, hey, listen, let me bring you someone. And it was definitely an investment property. It was unlivable. You know, there was actually a big hornet's nest in the actual living room. And so the showing conditions were really, really dicey. I kept showing it to people and everybody was bidding 70 grand, 70 grand, 70 grand. And the guy was like, hey, my payoff is $75,000. So I need 80 grand. Um, and so basically I worked with him. I said, listen, I'll pay you what you want, but this is what I need to do. I'm going to buy it for $75,000 at your payoff and I'm going to pay you rent so that you could just get out of it. So he wasn't going to walk away with any in his money, any, any money in his pocket. He just wanted out of the deal. So I actually paid it, uh, ended up leasing the property from him for $500 a month. Once again, it was unleasable. It was unlivable. I put in my own capital as the improvements. And then when I bought it for $75,000, I immediately refinanced it. And it was worth probably closer to 100, 110 at that time after the renovations. Well done. Good way to go. Um, how do you source deals? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, a really loaded question because back in the residential days, I would just scour the internet. So that would be Craigslist, that would be for sale by owners, that would be expired listings, just almost like a broker. I also did a lot of uh, yellow letter campaigns. I'm sure you're familiar with those. Um, but then also, I never really got into the cold calling campaigns that I am in now. Um, but yeah, I was just looking under every rock, uh, knocking on doors even to find those residential deals. Um, towards the end of the residential life cycle that I have right now, I really focused on uh, relationships. And so my um, my buying criteria had really been limited. And so now people kind of knew me and they knew that I never retraded. I never you know, jerked them around. And I've actually only broken one contract um, in the TR, uh, in the, in the inspection period. And so they said, hey, when this guy gives a number, he doesn't back down. And so I used my reputation with the wholesalers and different agents. And then of course, off-market deals too. So a lot of for sale by owners, a lot of expired listings, different things like that. Forever. And uh, uh, how, so it's pretty impressive. So 100 units in five years, how did you manage to scale? Yeah, so I worked a lot. So at the time, I didn't have kids. So I now have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So it's a lot harder now. But basically, uh, what I was chasing at the time was just a cash flow number. I said, hey, listen, I'll be very satisfied if I was able to X, hit X amount of dollars in month in monthly cash flow. And so um, the best way to do that is to keep management in-house. And once again, I do have that license. So I was able to uh, self-manage for the first about 20-ish units. Um, after that, I just got really overwhelmed. And so I hired on, uh, who's still with me now, um, my leasing agent and property manager. And so she was just part-time at the moment. She was just showing the properties for me. I was giving her a small, um, small hourly wage. And then if we were to lease up, she would get a portion of the first months of rent too. And so she's still with me today. I've now built out the team to where I have a project manager, um, that does all the construction side of things. I have two or three crews going at one time. 
um, for, for the construction side, those are all subcontractors or contractors. And then on the management side, um, I have a leasing agent and then a full-time uh, property manager. So those are kind of the branches and arms that I have. Cool. And uh, did you raise capital at any point for that? Yeah, at the time I had raised a couple, I had more more joint ventured. So I never did any limited positions, even though they now are in limited positions since I have the machine kind of going. Um, but at the time I did very tight knit, you know, relationship based uh, joint ventures where I was able to keep everything in house. And once again, when I didn't have the capital, I was trying to be creative. And so I was able to leverage some of that capital and then refinance them out and gain my equity in the cost basis. And of course, gain the fees of either selling or buying uh, some of those those uh, properties. So you say you're being creative. Can you give more examples of creativity? So we've heard about seller carry. What, what else mm -hmm. do you do? Yeah, so seller carrybacks and then seller financing too, um, partnering with the actual owner um, to then turn into some capital. And then for the joint ventures, um, you know, we kind of structured to where I was going to put down maybe, let's say, 25% of the down payment, they would bring 75%. But then I would put in the sweat equity um, and then even out to 50-50 when I, you know, did the renovations to the project and leased it out and managed it too. And so then after the refinance, after everybody got their capital back, it would go 50-50. And so I was able to work my way into those relationships when I didn't have the capital um, just by uh, having the systems in place and also working pretty hard too. Awesome. And then you ventured into commercial real estate, more precisely industrial. What was the appeal? Yeah. So, um, you know, initially I was thinking about, Hey, maybe I can do multifamily. Maybe I can do, um, mobile home parks or something like that, something residential so that I have a lot of carryover. Um, but initially when I started looking at, you know, the, the end skills that I have industrial real estate was really, really attractive. And so in the bio, you know, kind of mentioned the midnight phone calls, different things along those lines, uh, on a commercial lease, specifically a triple net lease, um, you know, the tenant is responsible for a ton of those things. And so that's what initially looked very, very attractive to me. Um, there's a couple other points that I like to point out, which is that industrial real estate is the largest commercial asset class in America per square foot. And so a lot of these uh, unfair advantages that I have, a lot of these mom and pop owners that I know how to speak to and know how to make relationships with, um, I'm, you know, there's still mom and pop owners out there so that uh, instead of like, you know, the multifamily space or some of these other spaces where, um, you know, it's more saturated with institutional capital. And so the way that I do business when it comes to the residential side, very relational focused, even with seller carries or seller carrybacks, that's not uncommon for some of these local credit uh, industrial um, properties. Um, and then the third point that I would say is that um, when I looked at who was actually looking into the industrial space, the average age of broker for industrial is like 50 something. And so, you know, there's not a lot of young people really looking into this industrial space. And so I thought that was an unfair advantage that I could take advantage of. Okay. And uh, so you talk about relationships with uh, mom and pop owners. Do you have examples? And you also mentioned cold calling. Do you have uh, tips for those relationships and also maybe scripts, examples of what you say on the phone when you, when you call, call someone? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm not the best, but I, I have practiced a little bit. So uh, a lot of my business is done. I tried so, so the goal of that cold call is to get face to face, especially if you're local. So once again, using the unfair advantage, if someone's calling from out of state, they can't 
like unless they jump on an airplane or something like that, they can't just immediately go out to that or even say that they've driven by. And so usually I try to bring up that I'm a local person, I've driven by, I really like this asset. And then sometimes before I was kind of using some of my newness to, you know, just say, hey, listen, I really enjoy the product that you have. It seems like you run a tight ship. Could I, you know, ask questions about this, this, and this, and then make it super easy for them. Hey, um, so something, a script along the lines, there's one of two that I use. One is, Hey, um, my name is Darren. I'm a local guy here. Um, I actually have a 1031 exchange coming up. Uh, I'm trying to call, you know, different industrial property owners like yourself to see if they'd be interested in an offer. And so that's kind of the right to the point, get to, get to the point I'm having to buy something. So once again, um, that's more of an aggressive one. The other non-way that I like to do, if it is really something that I like pursuing is, um, once again, making it so easy for them to say yes. So I said, Hey, I'm going to be in the area. Hey, my name is Darren, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I'm going to be in the area. Um, in this time, could I bring you and your team some donuts? Um, and usually the answer is yes. Um, for most industrial owners, unless they're out of state, sometimes they once are mom and pop owners or owner users, they're using that property. And so during normal business hours, if you drop by, they're most likely going to be there. So that's the second kind of style that I like using. One is one straight to the point, hey, I have 1031, I got money. Do you want to do you want to offer? The other is, hey, you know, I'm going to drop by. Let's form a relationship um, depending on the circumstances. Okay, cool. And uh, let's dive into the, the first deal, if you don't mind. How did you find it? The yeah, so... I'll kind of share the first industrial deal that I had. So I was actually, I found this one on LoopNet. And so by a broker, um, he brought it to me and he said, hey, listen, about to list this one. It's about to go live. It did go live. I toured it immediately the next day. Um, at the time, I was used to kind of residential things where it's like, hey, things go above asking. And so if you're the first person in to see it, you know, that that usually gives them a good motive. Um, at the same time, I was able to, it was a sale leaseback. So the, the owner was actually using the property. And so I said, great, I'll be able to see, he'll be able to see me and we'll have a conversation and uh, hopefully form a relationship. And so I was able to see the property very basically the very next day um, and form a relationship with the owner, user, and now the uh, the tenant now. Cool. What's the location of it? Is it close to the highway? Is it something, some of your criteria? Yeah. So once again, I had to kind of sacrifice a little bit on the criteria, um, but it is a really nice building. It was built in 1989. So it's not that old. It has 20 foot, uh, 20 foot ceilings. Um, and so, you know, it's not the shortest, but it's definitely not the tallest. So right now, just for reference sake, Amazon and FedEx and some of those really big distribution companies, they're building 30 feet to 40 feet. So I'm 20 feet. And then some of the really old ones, you know, they're 12 to 14 feet. So I have another asset that's like 14 feet tall. So, um, you know, it's somewhere in that middle. Um, this one only has three dock high doors. So dock, there's two types of doors. One is grade where you can kind of drive in almost like a garage door. And then the second is the dock high doors. So that's what, you know, semis use, um, so that they can dock into them. So this one doesn't have a grade door. Most likely will probably make one, um, but it has three dock high doors. And then it's about a mile away from a, uh, highway. And mm -hmm. so those are kind of the, some of the things that I look for in an industrial property. Okay. Was it a value add deal? Um, yes. So this one, we were able to, once again, make a relationship. So it was a sale leaseback, um, but it was a short one. 
<clears throat> so a sale leaseback is kind of exactly what it sounds like. Uh, upon the owner uh, turns into the tenant. So basically, when they signed to sell it to me, they signed also concurrently a lease to turn into a tenant. Um, a lot of people didn't like that it was going to be a short one, but I wanted to take on the risk and make that relationship so that I could keep on showing the property while it was um, uh, while, while they were vacating the property. And so uh, I was able to kind of get a really great price point. And then when I backfill it with another tenant, I'll be able to increase the rents too, um, but while, while taking on the risk of that vacancy too. So yes, I would say it's a value add. Okay. Um can you talk to the terms of the lease of the purchase where you creative there as well? No, this one was pretty simple. Um, you know, I bought it for $850,000. Um, and that, that price point per square foot was very, very low. Um, so that's about $40 per square foot. Um, which if you know anything now, like you can't build for that. So I was pretty excited about the cost basis that I got it at. Um, I leased it out for about $4 a square foot. And that ends up to be about, um, you know, four thousand ish dollars per month, and so, or excuse me, eight thousand ish dollars per month. So the total square feet is two uh, twenty one thousand eight hundred. Uh, I, I entered into a very short lease with him, six months, um, for four dollars a square foot. Market rate is somewhere in between four fifty and five dollars a square foot. So if I was able to execute a lease at, let's say, $5 a square foot, um, that's going to be, uh, you know, about $100,000, $105,000-ish um, at a purchase price of $850,000. So six months only, was it difficult to get that? Yeah, once again, that shy, a lot of other people shied away for from that deal just because a, a typical sale leaseback is a lot longer, 5, 10, 15 years even. Um, this one, he had already kind of found the next place and he was just kind of moving uh, and making sure that that movement didn't disrupt his flow. And so um, while at the same time, I basically kind of said, hey, this is kind of almost like a covered play. I can keep showing the property hopefully finding a tenant during that time frame and with a great relationship with the owner without disrupting his business and then hopefully backfill the actual tenant in, in that place. And how do you go about finding uh, this new tenant? Yeah. So just regular marketing channels, whether that be online or, you know, speaking with brokers too. And so um, this particular one, you know, we have it listed on CoStar, on LoopNet, on Crexy. Um, I'm also networking with a ton of different brokers and then also, you know, sending it out to maybe the Chamber of Commerce too. Uh, I've yet to put a, a sign out, but that's another way to attract some tenants too. Mm, very creative. Uh, did you raise capital for it? This one I did not I actually exchanged into it. Um, so I sold a triplex that I had and exchanged uh, that uh, for, for the down payment. So that's your movement. You're moving from residential to commercial now? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I have a series of 1031 exchanges. Once again, in that cold call, you know, I'm saying, hey, I'm setting things up. So they know I'm serious. I have a timeline. Um, and so I really enjoy uh, doing those 1031s. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Very well. Very well thought out. Um, what's the, what type, what did you put in place for management? 
Yeah, so this one I am still figuring it out with some of these larger triple net tenant uh triple net leases. Um, they're usually pretty straightforward uh because I get to build back once again a triple net lease. I'll just explain that it means net net net. So the base rent is net to the property owner. So the three nets account for property insurance, property taxes, and common area maintenance. So um that's pretty simple just to be able to calculate and then send that through to the tenant. And so um, I don't have a professional property management, but maybe soon I'll say. So it's all done in-house right now. And what's your exit, exit plan for it? Do you plan to keep it or long-term or flip? Yeah. In this particular deal, I will probably, whenever I do find that next tenant, um, I'm depending on you know the rates, I might refinance and get my capital back out. Um, but once again, it's that 1031 exchange. So the next kind of thought process is I'm either going to exchange into a bigger and better property industrial, hopefully, or, you know, just keep it long-term and enjoy that five-year lease. So we'll see. Awesome. Um, do you have any tips for someone starting out in commercial or industrial? Yeah. So once again, I, I really enjoy education. I really like uh, the, the, um, the education part of it. Um, also I would say, get really, really clear on what you want. Um, it's not just about financial freedom. It's not just about, you know, time freedom either. Um, for me, a big shift in my mindset was actually, uh, committing to a career in industrial real estate. So not just, Hey, I want to hit $10,000 a month. Hey, I want to be able to travel anytime I want to. It's like, no, this is, this feels right. And it's a really great fit. I'm really passionate about industrial real estate now. And so, um, I look at my career 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, I'm going to be the older broker, kind of what I mentioned that, um, <laughs> uh, white haired, uh, industrial broker. So, that's uh that's what I'm enjoying. Um, so tips and tricks for that. It is, I'll just say this and I repeat it a lot, like get to know the industrial side of things. Um, they're usually tucked away, not in residential spaces. It's obviously not retail. And so for me, the missing piece of the puzzle was who is the tenant that's going to actually lease out this space? I didn't really get that. And so I was like, is it like is it a carpenter? Is it just an auto dealership? Like who is that person? And so for me driving through that and just saying, oh, this person is a granite cutter. Oh, this person manufactures screw. Oh, this guy helps, you know, um, you know, the car auto parts and stuff like that. I was able to see. So I would say a very practical tip is get to know the industrial places in your city. Um, they're usually next to an airport, maybe next to an, a railroad, uh, highways and stuff like that and see what tenants are out there um, to actually uh, lease out your space. Awesome. Thank you so much. And last question. So I know you that faith plays a big role in your life and also at, for your work. Can you expand a little bit on that topic? Yeah, thank you for you know asking this question. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so my faith is really really important to me as a person, and obviously that that bleeds into my work too. And so I'll just share uh, when I was growing up, I thought the best way to serve the Lord was to vocationally be in ministry. So you know that having being being in ministry, being your job, and being paid for that, I thought that was the best and highest calling. I'll say and I'll admit now that I'm still trying to figure it out. The the marriage between 
ministry and business. Um, but, you know, at first I kind of mentioned to you, like when I was trying to transition into commercial, I thought maybe, oh, maybe let's get into residential, maybe affordable housing or workforce housing, mobile home parks, something along those lines to really have that be a ministry. And so for me right now, I think what's kind of pressing in my life as I'm start, still starting this journey in industrial real estate is just being very extravagant to my employees uh, and my team members, and then also uh, giving a ton of money too. And so making a lot of that money to give it away. And so um, I don't have it all figured out yet, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a really great question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, cool. Thank you for your answer. Well, thank you so much, Darren, for taking time out of your uh, schedule to talk to us. And I, I hope the, the, the I'm sure the audience will gain a lot of insights from what you shared with us today. Thank you for coming. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been the Commercial Real Estate Podcast with your host, The Mindful Investor. Thank you for tuning in and for more information, visit themindfulinvestor.net.